Welcome to a special edition of Startup Health Now. My name is Unity Stokes, co-founder of Startup Health, and I'm super excited about the conversation you're going to hear today. It's part of a spotlight series that Startup Health co-hosts with one of our investors and partners, Kaiser Permanente Ventures. This conversation was really, really interesting to me for, for two reasons. One, I learned a ton about genomics and genetics and all the innovation that's going on in the space. It starts with a, a really great overview from Amy Ramundo, who's the managing director at Kaiser Permanente Ventures. And that leads into a really great panel discussion um, that is moderated by Director of Strategic Engagement at KP Ventures, Shruti Katari. And the panel is with Lisa Alderson, the CEO and co-founder of Genome Medical, and Christy Roberts, who is the Senior Practice Director at Northwest Permanente. There's tons of pro tips for entrepreneurs and innovators looking to learn how to develop successful partnerships with large organizations like KP. There's also lots of pro tips about how to make sure you're ready for those types of engagements. I also found the wisdom that Lisa from Genome Medical shared really, really interesting, useful, and inspiring for entrepreneurs and innovators everywhere. So take a listen, enjoy, and look forward to getting feedback on this one. I work as an associate for Kaiser Permanente Ventures, which is KP's venture capital fund. And our mission is to invest in and advance innovation that addresses the biggest challenges facing KP, our strategic partners, and the greater healthcare system at large. And our lovely other event co-host today is Startup Health, so I do want to pass it to Unity to do some opening remarks for us. Actually, I'm going to pass it to oh, <laughs> Hi, my name is Unity. <laughs> Hi, I'm Katya Hancock with Startup Health. Uh, we're very excited to be here with KP Ventures, um, who's been one of our longtime supporters and partners. Um, Startup Health has been around for over eight years now, approaching nine years. Um, and we're actually very excited to have uh, opened our West Coast headquarters here in San Francisco in the last year. So now we have headquarters both in New York and San Francisco. Um, but if you're not familiar with Startup Health, um, our mission is, is actually aligned with what Jody just mentioned um, around KP Ventures' mission. We're really on a mission to improve the health and well-being of everyone on the planet. And we're doing that by investing in and supporting an army of entrepreneurs who are working to solve 11 health moonshots. So those are big macro themes that can impact a billion or more people. Things like access to care, being care to everyone on the planet. Um, any cancer, really just the most critical health challenges of our time. So we're on a long, long mission um, and we're just getting started and, you know, I think it takes radical collaboration to achieve these big goals. And so uh, some, of the, some of the things you'll be hearing about today on the panel are examples of, of those types of collaborations between large organizations and small. Um, so that's very exciting and excited to hear about this um, conversation today. Um, and just to point out, the magazine that you might be sitting on um, is the Startup Health Magazine. This is uh, part of our media platform. We are a storytelling company. We tell the stories um, of our entrepreneurs' progress, stories of hope to people around the world. Um, so 
please feel free to take that home and, and also subscribe to our digital content too. So thanks for being here. I actually really like the back cover of the magazine. It's aesthetically beautiful. I have cut it off very precisely and pinned it up on the board in my office. So <laughs> I think it's a great vision, great. The moon shots are amazing. So you can do the same and pin it to your office as well. <laughs> Uh, to start us off, we have some industry insights from Amy Raimundo. She is the Managing Director over at KP Ventures, and she's also a board observer of the company that we're featuring today, Geno Medical. Last time I did this, I actually fell off the chair, so I'm just literally, so I'm literally just going to stand here uh, try not to fall down. I just flew in from Denver, um, so I might actually fall down. Uh, let me see. Let's see if I can actually do this. Oh, that's my face. This is also my face. Uh, I do want to start um, first with how we got to this topic and precision medicine. Um, so the fund has been around, for those of you who aren't familiar, about 21 years, um, and we invest for both financial return and then strategic and clinical impact. Um, and so we are looking for both those things um, when we are looking at investments, and we look across the entire healthcare landscape, except for biopharma, is not an area that we invest in. Um, but then in areas, it's a, that's a pretty big uh, landscape, and I think everybody on our team is in this room. Um, and so, you know, actually covering that area, uh, all of healthcare, uh, you know, requires you know a certain amount of digging into certain things. And so. A we do every year a few different investment themes that we dig into, and we pick areas that you know become highly relevant within the payer provider community, um, and we see you know new opportunities as well as there's a lot of funding activity on the startup side, and so those are opportunities for us to really cut across traditional sectors and look at more holistically about what the needs are as well as you know what the possible solutions are. And when I joined the fund three years ago, precision medicine was really something that was emerging, you know, as a topic, as a, you know, sort of, there's also the, you know, the uh, hot button, you know, term, but also really understanding what that meant um, was really important to us. Um, and so in that investigation is actually how we ended up um, investing in Genome Medical, which is, you know, why we're here today is to learn about that partnership and, and you know, how uh, it has played out. Um, um, right over here. Um, the first thing I actually wanted to do, though, was start with the def a definition of precision medicine, and I think that's really relevant. When my colleagues are there's in the lobby is laughing because there are about a hundred thousand different definitions of precision medicine. Um, I like this one because I think it does, you know, collapse a few really relevant areas of genomics, pharmacogenomics, biomarkers, imaging, molecular diagnostics, which I think is really, you know, how we conceived of this as we looked at it as, a, as an investment theme. There are additional areas of environment and wellness and activity and, you know, all other things you could boil in. Um, but this sort of gave us a little bit of a flavor of, you know, what we were looking at um, from an investment theme. But I also wanted to start the conversation with why this became an important area. Um, and I think we think about all of our investment themes this way, is why now? You know, what is driving, and particularly when you think about sort of startup landscape and venture investing, 
it usually means that something very disruptive is happening, um, and you really should pinpoint like what the disruption is that is enabling um, this. Because you know, being a startup is not a uh, <laughs> it's not an easy place to be. So there's got to be a real rationale behind that. Um, so you know, I uh, there are a couple of things in here that I think you know most people agree on, and on the third one I think is probably more debatable, but I do think it's important. But the first one is the the cost of sequencing. Uh, and identifying genomic data has come down by an order of magnitude. Uh, and that just enables so many more people to collect that data um, and analyze that data. Um, and it, really, that is a major shift in the ability to take all this information um, and go both deeper and broader in terms of the population, and more people be able to participate in that. The next thing is, you've got a lot of data now. You actually need computing power. And so the 2x. Uh, expansion in computing power every two years has really enabled your ability to take those data points and then compute to something of clinical utility. And that's really you know, what matters about precision medicine is the clinical utility. And then the third element I actually think, you know, again, debatable, but I think actually it's had a pretty significant impact is the consumer side of this and the consumer awareness with the 23s and Me's and the ancestry you know, people are really are engaged in this. This, you know, has shown, you know, a real spike, um, you know, and people wanting to participate, which I actually think puts, you know, pressure on providers and health plans to really have an approach and a strategy around this, because I think that, you know, their, their patients and their consumers are much more aware um, of genetics and genomics than I ever would have thought. Um, so I think those are, you know, really interesting dynamics that I think are driving a lot of the movement around precision medicine. And then there are the dollars. And again, this is definitional. Um, so I try to be sort of reasonable in all the different assessments of what the market size is today and, and where it's going to. I did leave out the one that said it was $1.2 trillion because I think they added the kitchen sink in there and a couple other things. Um, but they clearly were adding sort of all data, all analysis, every tracker you've ever seen. Um, you know, but there's you know some general you know analysis that it's maybe 80 billion today, depending on how you define it, and growing between nine and 12 percent every year in the compound annual growth rate. So we're just talking 25 to 120 billion, and so that's also getting a lot of attention, um, and you know typically does in the investing group. Um, and we sliced it in a few different areas. And again, you know, the therapeutics is an area that we don't personally invest, um, but it is interesting. And it's you know sort of an obvious era area for biopharma because they're looking at that as can I up the efficacy and therefore reduce my clinical trial, reduce my regulatory pathway. Um, so there's you know a lot going on in therapeutics, and I really expected to see sort of therapeutics and then testing. Um, as sort of the primary one, I was thinking, oh, precision medicine, let me dig into it, but I would just see these two. Um, and we've got diagnostic, companion diagnostic, direct to consumer, which you don't invest in, and then uh, tumor sequencing, all sort of falls on that testing. What I was surprised by was the next two sectors, um, the analytics and infrastructure and the services. Um, those are two areas that I was not expecting to see, and that might have been just my own lack of imagination. But those were absolutely the things that spiked. So I was having the opportunity to walk around uh, KP in particular and ask the question about you know what is happening here and what it needs. Those are the two things that fired. It was not sort of in these categories. Um, 
And so, you know, I think taking some of sort of the tailwinds, like, you know, what is going on? I think I was sort of staggered by 42% of the drugs approved in 2018 were personalized medicine. And again, definitional, but that's actually a really interesting stat, that that is actually where therapeutics are going. And then of the cancer pipeline, 73% may be tailored, again, may, but to a person's genetics. And so those are really two significant things in the therapeutic category. And then you talk about pharmacogenomics, 250 of the most commonly prescribed drugs are susceptible to genetics. And that is something that, you know, you know many moons ago, I uh, spent some time uh, in the pharma industry, and the pharmacogenomics component was just not, you know, it was just not talked about. It, was, there was, it didn't feel actionable, but yet, look at the numbers. I mean, that's actually pretty staggering. Um, and then the thing that really stood out, which I think, again, is driving some of the infrastructure and services component, is there are 75,000 genetic tests on the market today, and 10 being coming to market every day. That is staggering. Uh, and staggering, particularly from to be able to utilize that in clinical practice. What do you do with that if you are a clinician? Or if you are an operator, who you know, and if it's moving that fast, how do you keep up? So the headwinds are how do you keep up? How do you deal with that? Um, and the fact that this specialty um, and the specific you know experts, because these aren't sort of yes/no tests. Um, the expertise to understand which tests, but also what to do about them is not growing, but the testing is growing. And so you've got this both huge volume, but a mismatch with the growth associated with the experts. Um, and then you've got clinical guidelines in some areas, you know, changing almost every quarter. And so if you are a practicing clinician or you're running an organization that, of those people, what do you do with that? And so, I will end this with some of the takeaways that actually led us to this investment, is that actually it's not the science that is challenging in some ways. In precision medicine, it is challenging. They're very smart people that work on it. But the actually operationalizing the precision medicine is actually one of the biggest challenges. That 75,000 figure, um, you know, it stuck with me um, this entire time. And then I'm going to steal, I stole, Arthur, your, your phrasing here, is that precision medicine is also a horizontal specialty. And by horizontal, you know, you've got cardiology, oncology, you know, GYN, OB, pediatrics. Precision medicine cuts right across. It affects absolutely every one of those specialties. And so then you're asking every physician everywhere to be up to date and up to speed on what is happening in that in that space. And that just sort of matrix component of that is incredibly difficult to sort of imagine. Um, and then scaling this expertise will be necessary. Like that, we're not gonna see a you know, sort of a decrease in this, you know, this field. I mean, the science is moving so rapidly, we're not gonna see a decrease. And so there has to be a way to scale this expertise so that it can get incorporated into practice. Um, and that part of that is also the decision support infrastructure. You know, how do you then make choices about who gets what, and sort of every clinician is affected in a lot of respects. Um, and then I think the other thing is we're in the first inning 
the evidence is just starting. And so it is going to continue and continue. Um, so I, I think if you pull these all together, you can imagine the investment pieces for Genome Medical. Um, you'll learn more about that. But I also think it speaks um, to the innovation um, that our leader, Christy, had, which was she needed to figure out how to operationalize precision medicine. And she really thought about, you know, what are my options here and how can I do this in a way that really delivers the kind of care to our community. And so I think we're all here to hear more about that and the successful partnership uh, that Christy and Lisa and their teams created here. So with that, I will hand it off to Jody. <laughs> That was incredibly insightful, and the industry insights, I should say, did not disappoint. And the evening continues. We do have three incredible speakers coming up. The first, great. Okay, it's a red screen on my side, so I'm really excited that it works here. So the person I'd like to introduce next is going to be our moderator, and she's actually my manager, and she leads the KP Ventures Strategic Engagement Program. So events like this were all through the, the thoughtfulness and the collaboration that she had with all of our incredible business partners and with KP. So I'd like to bring up Judy Katari. Thank you. Is it on? Yes, yeah. it's on. Okay. I'm a loud person, so sometimes I don't know. Um, thank you all for being here. Uh, Christy's from Portland, and I was telling her, you know, when it rains in California, nobody comes out. It's a thing that happens. And she's like, it's not even raining. <laughs> like, it was raining. <laughs> the roads are wet. So thank you all for being here on a cold and rainy day. We really appreciate it. Very excited. And before we um, sort of begin the conversation, I just wanted to echo a few things that were mentioned earlier, um, our intent for these series. So we, as Jody mentioned, we have a lot of different speaker series that we do. And this specific focus, we started this year. Um, as we look to our portfolio, we have 30 plus companies and over 50% of those have partnerships with KP. And you know, we so often hear about like death by pilots and we hear about how it's really hard for enterprises to adopt and scale innovation from smaller stage companies. And we get the privilege at KP Ventures to support these partnerships between our portfolio and Kaiser Permanente. And we get to see every day the lessons and the best practices from our operational leaders. And that's on the startup side and the enterprise side. And so, of course, there are challenges, but we get to see how folks are sort of bridging those gaps and working together and helping really advance meaningful innovation. And so we get to get all these like secrets and stuff and we wanted to share with others in the innovation ecosystem. There are other health plans, providers, systems, other uh, companies that are not our portfolio company who could all benefit from these best practices or how others are sort of approaching this concept of large enterprise partnerships with smaller stage companies. So that's the intent for today. Uh, we wanted to share, you're going to hear more about the actual partnership between Genome Medical and KP Northwest, but we're really going to focus a bulk of this conversation on both the enterprise side, what were some of the challenges, how do we over 
overcome them and partner together um, with a smaller stage company. And then from the smaller stage company side, what are some of their best practices with working with a large enterprise? Um, and we're going to divide this conversation into three parts, the why, the how and the best practices. Um, so just a little bit of a guide for today and today's conversation before I introduce our awesome panel. And one last thing. So there is um, a link down here for submitting questions. Would love for you to submit questions as they come into your head as we're talking. Um, and I might even throw in some questions as we're doing the panel, but of course, we'll have plenty of times for questions at the end and I'll be reading my iPad. So this way, nobody has to stand up and ask their question if they don't really feel like standing up and asking a question to the room. So with that in mind, Christy, Lisa, come on up. Um, can sit in the middle. <clears throat> yeah, sit on the, we have a little recorder here. So um, for any of your friends and family who couldn't make it tonight, we will be, Startup Health actually, will be um, doing a blog and a podcast of this event in case you'd like to share. Um, but let's start off. I want to focus on our two panelists. Um, maybe, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, maybe a little bit more about yourselves, um, how you've gotten to where you've gotten to, and what is your specific role in the KP Northwest and Genome Medical Partnership. So maybe Lisa, CEO of Genome Medical. <laughs> Thank you. It's fun, fantastic to be here this evening and really uh, enjoying the dialogue and discussion. So by way of my own personal brief background, I'm a longtime entrepreneur. Started my first company when I was still in college, and. Uh, this is now, I believe, my seventh company that I've helped to either found or start, and the third in the field of genetics and genomics. So I'm definitely a diehard uh, entrepreneur. I, you know, really kind of gravitated towards the field in around 2000 when we were sequencing the first human genome, and it really became apparent to me even at that time, which is now, of course, you know, 19 years ago. Uh, but the promise of how. Uh, our understanding of our molecular makeup could do a couple things. One, help to better understand our risk for disease, to really guide to a more accurate diagnosis faster, and then third, really help with selection of therapy. And so I saw this tremendous promise and potential, and now I feel like we're in that era of realizing much more of that promise and potential. So it's exciting to be here. I am the co-founder and CEO of Genome Medical. And um, at the highest level, we sit at the intersection of telehealth and genomics. And so we're really bringing forward access to genetic and genomic-based care to patients all over the United States via virtual healthcare. Um, is your microphone yeah. on by chance? Let's see. It is off. There we go. Okay, now you can hear me. <laughs> I should have done your check up front. Yeah. But my voice carries, so hopefully it needs to be heard. Did those in the back get enough of a... <laughs> Um, uh, do you want to say just like a little bit quick synopsis just in case? Sure. Like, so I'll, I'll at least give the brief on Genome Medical. So we are a nationwide medical practice that brings genetics and genomics to patients in all 50 states. And we deliver uh, our care virtually through our telehealth platform. Thank you. Yeah. 
And I'm Christy Roberts, and I am a senior practice director with Northwest Permanente. Um, and there's a lot of KP people in the room, but for those of you who aren't, Northwest Permanente is actually the medical group part of a three-pronged program that's nationally known as Kaiser Permanente. So I work for the physician group. Um, we are physician-led and professionally managed. We partner with Kaiser Foundation Health Plan and also Kaiser Foundation Hospitals to deliver care to our members. Um, we are also nationwide, but I specifically work in the Portland metropolitan area. Um, we are in all of Oregon and then southwest Washington. So um, I have been with Kaiser Permanente for 20 plus years. That's really hard to say sometimes. <laughs> um, I actually was a Kaiser baby as well, so I am born, bred, wow. drank the Kool-Aid, love the organization. Um, I did an internship in physical therapy there when I was a student and just fell in love with the care delivery that Kaiser Permanente has. Um, and have moved from being a physical therapist through management, almost all of specialty care. I think I've touched every specialty care department. So when Amy was talking about the vertical specialties and then the horizontal um, influence of genetics, I, I feel that, I know that, I, I, I definitely, that spoke to me. Um, and so now I've moved into business affairs and I'm working on a collaboration project with one of our contract hospitals. Uh, I had such a great time partnering with another external company that I've taken that into the next level of my career. Um, and when we started our partnership, I was the practice director for genetics. And you, um, well, we'll talk about this later. Okay. I, was just gonna, I was just gonna say how amazing Christy was as a champion of innovation within KP Northwest and for specifically this partnership and so leading into that a little background for the folks um, if you both could give yeah. um, what what is the partnership between KP Northwest and Genome Medical? So I can start with that. Um, so we we have a genetics program within the uh, Northwest and most of our KP regions have a genetics program but it's kind of antiquated <laughs> I'll just say, um, our practices were a little inefficient. Um, we had sufficient staffing, but we needed to have a way of doing things differently to keep up with the volume that Amy was talking about, the increased demand. And so we developed this partnership with Genome Medical and now have a full contract for genetic counseling services. And our members see the Genome Medical genetic counselors as if they were seeing their KP genetic counselors. It's pretty seamless for them. That's fantastic. The only thing I think I would add there is, you know, uh, just to kind of further add to what Amy commented, I think across the healthcare system, we're really seeing this growth yes. in demand for genetic services, and it's accelerating at such a rapid pace that it's very challenging to keep up with that demand. And of course, the workforce, meaning the number of geneticists and genetic counselors, is not growing at that right. same pace. So that's what's creating you know, a bit of angst within the healthcare system. And for systems like KP, where you have genetics, you actually have a huge leg up relative to most places yes. where it's just absent and not yet available. And so, but even with that, as you said, there was still sort of this need for yes. increased growth and efficiency. So. Yes. And so I'm gonna move on to the, the why part of the conversation. So as we look at, um, 
all of sort of the external companies you could have partnered with around this use case and this opportunity. Um, so two things. One is, why did you decide um, to partner with a smaller stage company? Because the question comes up all the time um, from large enterprises around scalability and just, you know, that question of can you actually meet our demand? Yeah. Um, so why a smaller stage company and why specifically Genome? What aspects of the company really stood out um, to make that somewhat, some might call like a risk of partnering with a smaller company, mm -hmm. that's how enter large enterprise often see it, um, worth it? Yeah, so we looked, I think the first question for us was really looking external because we had, because most of the regions have a genetics program, we had the opportunity to partner with another region. But because we are such a tight-knit group in the genetics community within Kaiser Permanente, everybody kind of did it the same. We have clinic visits, they're all the same length, and we're, we are able to see patients at the same rate as all of the other regions. And we needed to do something differently, so we needed to look external. We needed to go with somebody who did it differently. Um, bricks and mortar, as everyone knows, is not where the future is. Bricks and mortar only allows you to have a, a very set throughput. Um, and as the volume of patients who are seeking genetic services is increasing, we needed to go beyond bricks and mortar. So Genome Medical came to us through KP Ventures, thank you very much, <laughs> um, and, and was an opportunity to, for us to look at how to do it differently. And we did benchmarking internal and external. We looked at companies who could maybe send us a genetic counselor so that we could have additional resources on site. We looked at other um, organizations that did a similar type of genetic service where it was virtual genetics, but we really felt connected to Genome Medical. Um, the mission for patient-centered care was exactly the same. Anytime we talked about why we were doing this, why Genome Medical was in the field, it was about helping patients get the care that they need when and where they need it, which is really what we're driving to in Kaiser Permanente. Um, it just felt right. They were able to describe a scalability to allow them to take on the large volume that we were going to send, um, and then maybe contract when we got through the backlog of patients that we had accrued. So they were able to be nimble with us. Um, not many places were able to do that. Not many companies can be that nimble, and especially in a startup, when you're trying to build, not necessarily build and then contract and build and contract. So we just, we felt that connection. We felt like it was the right thing to do. And then we just started to move forward and it just became this dance. Um, if we had gone with a larger company, instead of a dance, it might have been more like two aircraft carriers trying to turn. <laughs> and that just doesn't go well. <laughs> I love that. I have a visual. <laughs> Um, and Lisa, we've heard a lot of different statistics around the why, for why something like this and Genome very creatively is leveraging telemedicine. Can you tell us a little bit more about your service offerings and how you really think about your product and developing it to create access? 
Definitely. So we're really focused in genetics and genomics. And so our service offering includes access to specialists in that field. And that's medical geneticists, that's genetic counselors, that's some other specialists like PharmDs around pharmacogenomics. Uh, we provide support in six different specialty areas. So cancer, cardiovascular, reproductive health, pediatric genetics, pharmacogenomics, just general proactive health, and we do that for patients in all 50 states. So there's a huge complexity in terms of delivering clinical care with extreme high quality of service to the right patient at the right time via virtual care. And so we really think of ourselves as building two core pillars of strength. The first is around amassing a clinical team with depth of knowledge and expertise. And we are a very mission-driven organization. We're very much about patient-centered care. Uh, and then the second is really around an investment in a technology platform that enables much more efficient care delivery because our vision is that ultimately, you know, our molecular makeup impacts us in so many ways. It is our DNA, it is our life code. It affects our, you know, likely response to drugs. It affects our, you know, diagnosis. It affects our propensity to get disease. And so if we forecast forward, you know, five years, 10 years from now, we really see the utility for genetics and genomics vastly expanding. And so part of why we're investing in that technology platform to really drive much more efficient care is that we think these care delivery models have to evolve from, you know, one patient at a time, an hour pre-test counseling session, you know, an hour post-test counseling session, select your test, into much more efficient clinical care care delivery models that are heavier technology enabled. And so we're on a growth trajectory to continue to refine and always maximize on the quality of that patient care experience, but finding ways in which technology can be our aid and support more efficient care delivery. And yeah. I think if I can add, Absolutely. that's another reason that Genome Medical stood out for us because they they went beyond just, we're gonna help you take care of patients. These patients in these, this referral pool, we're just gonna do this and that's it. What they went further to is to help us understand where the future was going with genetics. So um, in Kaiser Permanente, we use the EPIC module and we are stuck in that. It's the way that we communicate across our regions. It's the way that we communicate with hospitals outside of our own KP world. But it also limits us in that partnership with companies that don't use the Epic platform. When we brought that question up in our discussions, it was, well, let's figure out how we can integrate. And it, it was never, there was never a point where Genome Medical said, yeah, we can't do that. Sorry, <laughs> that's not going to work for us. It was always, every question that we had, every challenge that we faced, Genome Medical was able to come back to us and say, let's figure that out. We're going to work together. We're going to we're going to be able to grow together to take care of not only the patients you have now, but the patients you have next year, and the year after, and the year after. That's great. Thank you. That's, and okay, so this is my favorite part of the conversation, which is the how, <laughs> only because I probably, and you probably, and anybody who works at KP probably gets this question a million times, which is how do I get a KP partnership? So. Lisa, how'd you get a KP partnership? <laughs> well, 
One, I really first credit the Kaiser Permanente Ventures team because after the investment in Genome Medical, I think part of what you, you know, your team does really is help to navigate the complexity of the KP system. And it is a bit complex. Yeah. <laughs> and particularly as an early stage company, you know, understanding the structure and how to navigate to that structure and find the right key decision makers just is hard. And so I think part of the advantage of that role that your team has played is is actually kind of a great go-between where it's taking the knowledge of you know our capabilities and skill set out to just better understand if there's pockets of opportunity within Kaiser that would make sense. And then I would expect from your side also kind of being able to say, well, this is a need and now we'd love to engage in a conversation. So it kind of helps to facilitate that point of connectivity and interaction, but only when an identified need. Yeah. So it drives some efficiency really on both sides. And then, you know, the, the second part of that I would say was really to Christie's credit and the team at large is helping to assemble those key decision makers. And we actually had a very efficient process from the point of initial introduction, needs identification, large kickoff, and ultimately implementation. And I think that's simply because of having navigators to take us on the journey that ultimately helped with our success. One tip, if you don't have a navigator, um, one thing I always, so what we did um, at KP Ventures, Amy and I, um, we basically, we wanted to learn more about how genetics works in each of our regions. So pro tip number one, each region is different. So <laughs> if they say they're a national lead, they, probably are, but they probably can't speak to how, uh, whatever your specific focus, how it's operationalized in each region. Um, so we, we sought to find the operational leaders. So operational to me means you are the decision maker of that service line, that offering, whatever it is, and you hold the budget to it and or you have influence to write a business proposal and get budget for something. That's what that means. Um, so there are many, many wonderful uh, kind of innovation doors in any large enterprises, research, innovation. Um, but if you are looking for an operational partnership, you must find yourself an operational champion within that enterprise. So that's another pro tip. Um, <laughs> but that's essentially what Amy and I did. We found the operational leaders on the clinical and non-clinical side because they will partner together um, in each of our regions. And we really came from a point of curiosity and to present to these leaders because operational leaders don't always get to hear about what's happening that's innovative in the field. So as we approached these conversations, it was one, curiosity, learning how they how they operate, how, what are their gaps, um, where are they looking for external technologies and services, pure curiosity. And two was to come from a place of informational meeting. We have invested in Genome Medical. We truly believe in what they're doing and they have a great team and um, 
as you're solving for the same needs, would you like to have an informational meeting with Genome Medical just to yes. better understand? <laughs> and so of our regions, you know, there were three regions who were very eager to connect with Genome Medical. And um, from that, really organically, due to Christy and, <laughs> yes. Um, and so tell, tell what we would love to understand. Um, so again, you know, we'll help with that facilitation, but really to Christy's credit, you need to find an operational champion who's really going to champion within a large enterprise because there are many stakeholders. Tell us more yes. about that, Christy. So yeah, the, the great thing is it came through executive sponsorship. So Shruti and Amy reached out to our executive leaders. They funneled it down to me. And right there was baked in executive sponsorship. So great, done, we're going. Now, we had to, then we had to figure out who all needs to be involved. And thankfully, in having worked for many of, if not all of the specialties across Kaiser Permanente Northwest, I had built connections. And one of the things that I don't think is unique to KP, but because I've worked there my whole career, I, I know it's a thing, is building relationships. So over the 20 years that I was in the different specialties, I've built relationships with the key stakeholders in supportive departments. IT, billing and coding, contracting, legal, everywhere. So I was able to reach out, draw on those relationships, and get everybody involved in the very beginning. Once I got the people at the table, it was about telling the story. And it brings it all back to, how is this going to help our members? How is this going to help our patients get the care that they need in the time frame they need it? I, all I had to do was say, our systems aren't working, our patients are waiting. And the support was born. And when we brought everybody together, the huge team from Genome Medical, the huge team from KP, we walked through all of the steps of the workflow and we were able to identify what needed to happen. And we had the stakeholders in the room, both from Genome Medical and from KP, so that they could walk through how to get through every single barrier we threw. I think that was particularly effective. I would just call out that I think there was really strong alignment to goals, mm -hmm. mission, purpose, and you know objective, and then getting all those stakeholders. And we literally had an all-day meeting with like a thirty-person <laughs> team between the two organizations. But that allowed you to meet everybody in person and really, you know, highlight yes. like what do we need to get done and who is the team, the different work streams to get that done. And there's a lot of ownership helped. when you have. Have people looking at each other. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. One thing I remember and I loved was um, you never really called Genome a vendor, you'd call them our partners. Yeah. And that that stood out to me. So I think that's also something that's uh, like as you're seeking business development opportunities with large enterprises, and you know, it's definitely enterprises are looking for how you describe genome and that feeling, but also smaller stage companies, you should also feel like when you are working with an enterprise that they see you as a partner. I think that's really yeah. important. And that was right away, and you don't always see that, um, but very important. Yeah. And so the, right, so often also where a gap I see in these partnerships is, you know, there's all this work done on actually getting the contract. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to implementation, because when we think about, sure, you can get a pilot, but then when you mm -hmm. scale it, how are you measuring its success, right? Yeah. And so oftentimes there's this focus on actually just getting that contract signed, but then what about next? 
How do you determine what the milestones are? What does success look like? What are the different phases? And you, uh, this partnership has done it so wonderfully. So can you both tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think, so we started with that. We started with what do we want this to look like at the end of the story? How do we want to help our members? How do we want to, what do we expect from each other to make sure that the members are getting taken care of in the time they need, when they need, how they need, where they need, all of that. Um, so we started with those expectations and we wrote up a list, we talked about them, we came to agreement. So we talked about timeliness of outreach. So in Kaiser Permanente, we have uh, metrics that we use for our call centers. So they see a referral, an approved referral, and they need to reach out to the member within 48 hours. And then the second contact is a certain number of times after that. And we just offered that as our standard to Genome Medical. And they said, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do it. <laughs> so that was easy. But we worked together, we came to agreement on what those time frames should look like. I think the one that really stands out for me that Genome Medical does better than anyone else I've heard of um, is actually getting that appointment. So not only are they reaching out to the member within 48 hours, but they're also seeing the patient, so the appointment with the genetic counselor is happening within one to two weeks depending on acuity. It's not uncommon in many places across the country for a patient to wait six months to get a genetic counseling appointment. And that's not even testing. So that's before the testing's even done. And then there's another month or two months after that for that follow-up appointment. But we asked for a higher level of care for our patients. And Genome Medical said, yeah, we can do that. That's fine. In fact, our internal goal and metric is next day appointment, or at least next day available appointment. And sometimes the patient we could have asked seeks, more. <laughs> <laughs> seek, you know, seeks depending on their schedule. But yes, it is that timeliness, and and you know, and I would highlight particularly around pediatric genetics is one of these places mm -hmm. that there is a tremendous amount of angst across the healthcare system, and often can have very very long wait times. And if it's you know, if you're a parent and this is your child, a six-month wait is just untenable. And so, uh, again, across the healthcare system, that, that becomes a challenge. So, yeah. It's something I also saw that was very, um, that was done really well in this partnership is you'll notice that both are saying really specific data points. And so oftentimes, I feel like when a company is pitching their value proposition, it can be really general, like, we're really great at care experience, uh, you know, mm -hmm. timeliness. What does that actually mm -hmm. mean? And right from the beginning, there was a lot of data involved, like in terms of, you know, from the very first mm -hmm. pitch um, from Genome, what is the data when related to that? And also, knowing the industry, um, so meaning there were very specific terms that you were using and things that you knew that generally yes. genetics departments would like are measured by and things like that. That's also something else where if you're you're toting that you improve care experience, then cite the caps, cite whatever it is that is relevant to the operational leader in that right away. I think there's one thing I would highlight there, which is that though Genome Medical has a relatively short history, we were founded about three and a half years ago, our founding team and our clinical team is deeply experienced in genetics and genomics. And so having that knowledge and actual experience of what does it mean to deliver patient care within the context of all of these complexities you heard from Amy within the environment just 
builds a lot of credibility and it was clear, I think even from our kickoff meetings that we had, you know, the right players around the table yes. to help affect some of that change. So, yeah. And a question for you, Lisa, scalability. So again, the I'm sure the question likely came up in the beginning of you're a smaller stage company, we're Kaiser Permanente Northwest, we got a lot of people, how are you going to scale to us? Well, that's part of our core value proposition, really. Um, I mean, one, in our own clinical care team, we have both full-time uh, team, but we also extend our network, particularly around complex cases where we may need to lean on a more extensive team. But we're really part of this investment in our technology platform is about how do we achieve greater efficiency and scale. And so when we compare ourselves relative to the industry average, we're already more than you know twice as efficient in terms of the amount of of kind of clinical touch time that is required. And that doesn't shortchange the patient visit with the clinician. It's really much more about what's required to prep for the session and what's required in documentation and how do we use technology to help improve that overall approach and experience. And so the way I would think about it is, again, we're approaching this holistically from here's where the industry is today. There's a tremendous amount of angst in terms of being able to service current medical need, much less what's coming in two years, three years, five years time and so we're really investing heavily in enabling the workflows and processes to innovate on that care delivery yeah awesome so we're going to move into the lessons learned before we get into the questions section from the audience um but so you know it's thought to be like a golden ticket to get for you know a smaller stage company <laughs> to get a big enterprise partnership but as you know and as many smaller stage companies know that have large enterprise partnerships it's very complex right um, so question for you Lisa is when do you think a smaller stage company is actually ready to handle a, a large enterprise client I think it's a very good question. I think there's also both when you're ready and who is the right partner. And so the when you're ready piece is an element that if you're a small company, you know, that one partnership could consume the entire company. And so it's a little bit about that stage of readiness. But I think it is also equally important about do you have the right partner? And as Christy noted, I think one of the things that's been really effective in this partnership is frankly really solid community. Communication. We have, you know, that not only that upfront kickoff, but quarterly on-site, you know, reviews and uh, regular cadence and calls, and just a real transparency and candidness. Like, it's clear you should have some expectation that after you launch, you're going to have to continue to optimize and iterate and improve and, you know, understand what's working and what's not and how do you affect those changes. And I feel like on both sides of this partnership, it's been really strong to try to rapidly identify if there's something that needs course correction and then rapidly engaging to make sure that that happens and is effective. And I think part of that is having that right partner because, you know, without that open and transparent communication and commitment to delivering exceptional patient care, like you would have yeah. be challenged or you might find that the first speed bump becomes you know, the end, <laughs> the speed bump the wall. And so I think that's a, that's an important part. Are there any um, telltale signs where if a smaller stage company is experiencing this from a potential enterprise partners, they should just like run for the hill? <laughs> 
Well, I think it's up front trying to gain strong alignment on those, you know, again, mission objectives, key metrics, performance. And if you feel like there's strong alignment and you can achieve them, <laughs> then, then, then I think you're on a, a healthy path. Uh, I think where um, early stage companies can sometimes get a little out over their skis is sort of optimistically hoping that they can, you know, affect that outcome and when they don't yet have the processes or, you know, uh, process in, in place. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, perfect, thank you. And Christy, uh, same sort of thing, not every enterprise is positioned to work with a smaller stage company. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to have certain uh, resources and things in place in order to do that. So. Um, for folks in the audience who are from enterprises, uh, what do you think are some things you need to have in place in order to partner with a smaller stage company? So I think building on what Lisa talked about, that the transparency and the, the shared mission and value is really important because if you're not aligned in the very beginning on where you want to go through the journey, you're never going to get there together. Um, so. If you, for a large enterprise, if you are a company that holds things close to the vest, you don't want to let out your secrets, it's never going to work with a smaller enterprise. It's never going to work with a smaller company that needs to know some information. So one of the things that worked really well for me is I had a point person. I had a point person with whom I could text, I could call, we could set up a meeting just like that if there was ever a barrier or something that we needed to talk through. It kept us moving together. So I would imagine having me as that person on the KP side was really helpful in keeping this moving together as well. So I needed to have the bandwidth to be able to have those quick check-ins and be able to keep on top of things so that I could keep things moving within the aircraft carrier. I could keep it turning because it's really easy for something in a large organization to become a lower priority. Mm-hmm. And, and it did sometimes. And I needed to pick it back up and move it, keep moving it along. So I think having the key person to continue to nudge, continue to push, continue to move things along is really key. The other thing is to make for that really worked for us is we had our systems in place for legal, for compliance, for risk, for contracting. We had our, our regular points that we needed to hit to make sure that we crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's. Large organizations, by the nature of the organization, have a lot of policies. And we needed to make sure that we were fitting into that. The other thing that really helped with this um, partnership was even just the workflow systems. So something as simple as the genetic counselors for Genome Medical needed to be able to see the medical record. We already had a system in place so that they could have read-only access because we'd already partnered and tested that out. So even just some workflows that we could add to making it easier for them to be able to take care of our patients, that made it so much easier in the end. Yeah, it's probably worth saying that we definitely took kind of a crawl, walk, run approach, which I think is important. <laughs> yeah. And and by that, I mean, I think we actually launched within like six to eight weeks after the contract was signed. So we were up and running fast, but that wasn't as deeply integrated and you right. know finalized as one would like. But I think there's a value and benefit in that because you can then have 
some proof points of success and show our nimbleness as an early stage company, which I think is part of that value, but then be able to add with maturity and time improvements in those processes. Yeah, and I mean, I forgot to ask this question earlier. Um, how long was it from, like you said, six to eight weeks from when the contract was signed to implementing, essentially? Mm-hmm. And how long did it take for the contract to be signed? The contract being signed actually was a really quick process. Yeah, it was pretty quick, oh, yeah. too. Yeah. Okay. So from beginning to end, from the first email that I actually was looking at this the other day. All right. The first email <laughs> that I got forwarded to me from you was... Uh, March of 2017, I think. No, 2018. 2018, probably, yeah. And then we went live in April of 2019. Fully signed contract, all of the yeah. systems ready to go. We started with a very small group of patients, but then we've been able to continually grow as we get our systems under um, mm-hmm. in yeah. place. And I think it was really more in the kind of fall time frame yes. that we were in more of a like, hey, let's, let's do go. this. Yeah. So truly from that point to launch, which was in March, would have been more like, right. yeah. Like six months? Yeah. Less, probably yeah. less. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We're going to move it to audience questions. And so I have a list of questions that have already come in, but please keep sending them. First question for Christy, what other priorities does KP Northwest have in genomics where you are looking for external partners potentially? You mean beyond genome medical? Beyond beyond genome medical. As Amy was talking about, genetics is continuing to evolve. So with the direct consumer, I I actually think that's a bigger influencer than Amy gave it credit for. Um, because our patients are coming to us saying, I did 23andMe, it said I have this gene, what do I do now? And, and primary care physicians are not equipped to have that conversation. So the, the role of genetics is continuing to grow. So we need, we need to continue to evolve with what's the latest test. Ten new tests every day, we've got to keep up with all of that. We've got to keep up with the best practices for, from companies like Genome Medical so that we can actually be continuing to provide top-notch patient care in genetics. Then the pharmacogenetics part, that's huge. If a drug isn't going to be effective because you've got the genes that don't match the drug, that's not going to be a good thing. We need to make sure that we are keeping up with all of the pharmacogenetics. We need to keep up with all of the cancer genetics. Um, everything is evolving. It's, as Amy said, it's across every specialty. So we need, we need to do everything with genetics <laughs> because our patients are coming to us and asking the questions. Sounds like we should follow up on a consumer genomics Are the post-test counseling sessions for positive or abnormal tests via phone, uh, phone in person, or other virtual service approach? And how do you compare the quality of virtual versus a traditional in-person? Yeah, I'm happy to take that. So we actually have a little bit of a hybrid model with some in-person services or you know on-site services, but the vast majority at, at KP specifically, but the vast majority of our services are all via virtual care. And so typically that is a video consultation, uh, secure, HIPAA compliant, obviously. Um, it can also be a phone-based consultation, and that's really at patient preference. Um, and the, you know, the way in which we compare 
there and we look at efficacy, well, one, it ultimately comes down to really customer satisfaction. And we do want to ensure that highest quality experience. And so net promoter score and you know, customer sat are, are two big metrics for us overall. Um, but it's also a little bit about understanding and kind of comparing the, comparing the customer experience. And what we learn in, in here from patients, particularly if you think about individuals in a more remote setting or lesser access you know, to availability of care, this is actually a consultation that can occur from the comfort of their home really quite easily. And it does then afford sort of reduction of barrier in terms of you know, time away from work, et cetera. The last thing I would highlight is that we do actually offer after hours uh, appointments and weekend appointments. And so that also creates just convenience for the patient. Yeah. What we hear a lot from patients is that they don't want to come in we hear, that, especially with our patients who are undergoing testing for cancer-related um, genetics, um, if we're testing after they've been diagnosed, they come in for everything. They come in for their chemo. They come in for their physician visits, they, their surgery, everything else. They want to be able to do something from their own home. They're not getting exposed to all the different germs in a medical clinic. They're not, getting, they're not having to sit in traffic when they're exhausted. They want to do this. Um, and then the other piece that's really helpful for a virtual visit is you can have somebody else there much more easily than in a very small clinical exam room. Um, when you're gathering family history, it's really challenging unless the patient has done everything that they're supposed to do before they come in. Most people don't because I don't know about you, but when I go to a doctor's visit, I go, oh, I've got that questionnaire. I forgot to fill it out. But if you have a virtual visit, you can have your family members with you, and they can help to fill in the blanks about that family history. Thank you. Um, so for Lisa, genetic counselors, they're a rare commodity. So how do you recruit them and, and not see as um, conflicting with KP trying to recruit genetic counselors? <laughs> oh, yeah, very good point. So first, just in terms of the stats, there are only about 4,500 genetic counselors in the entire United States, and there are about 2,500 geneticists. So it's a very small labor pool. And in particular, when you think about that, you know, 15 to 25%, depending upon the stats you look at, but industry growth year over year in terms of patient volume. You know, I would say one of the things that we do just as innovators in the field, and I always feel like great talent begets other great talent. And so we have an incredible clinical team with just some of the most, you know, tremendous thought leaders um, in genetics and genomics. And so we find that we can recruit talent um, actually quite easily. I think there's also an aspect of that flexibility of work schedule and being able to work from home that actually is pretty motivating for a workforce. And one of the things that's unique about genetics is that for the genetic counselors, it's roughly 85% female and largely, you know, individuals in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And so when you're in that taking care of your family zone, having a little more flexibility in terms of the amount of time uh, is a value and benefit. Really, the thing I would say with regard to working closely and making sure we don't feel like we're competing, <laughs> for us, success is when there is a really strong genetics group 
locally within the health system, and that's for sure the case at KP Northwest. And that with that, that allows us to partner and truly be partners so that it's about how do we augment that team. And sometimes that's by specialty area. Sometimes that's just the sheer volume of patients. Um, so, you know, and, and sometimes that's, you know, just different ways of collaboration that we find to be most effective. So we feel we're most successful when we can help prop up that local team uh, and be a true partner. Yeah, and we definitely feel that. So we've, over the course of the last year, we've hired five genetic counselors. So we aren't experiencing the shortage in our specific region, but we know it's coming which is another reason why we want to make sure that we are partnering with Genome Medical because it'll help sustain us for the long term. But we're, we're seeing patients in a different way. Like, like you said, Lisa, it's, it's really about augmenting what the health system has. So there are specialties that we just don't have the volume of people to take care of. Um, there are resources um, that are needed on site to repatriate those patients because once they have had their counseling, let's say they do have a mutation, they need to go and see other clinicians to maybe do prophylactic surgery or whatever they choose. We've got to reintegrate them within our system because that's not a tool that's available when you work with an, an external vendor. So we need to have both and. Yep. And we've not ever felt the competition even now <laughs> we've been hiring. <laughs> Christy, another question for you. Um, did you need physician buy-in? I laugh at this because I know the answer. Um, do you need, did you need physician buy-in? Did they resist or like the idea of going outside of KP walls? And how did you address these objectors? So, um, yes, absolutely. So, for, like I mentioned, with Kaiser Permanente, we are physician-led, professionally managed. So the physicians are the ones that are making the clinical decisions and designing the clinical care. So absolutely we needed physician buy-in. Taking the care outside of the KP walls, yeah, absolutely there was resistance there. Because we know our systems, we know our care delivery, and when you work with a company outside of the KP walls, it's a gamble. Honestly, it's a gamble because not everybody practices Permanente Medicine. So we had some conversations about that and Dr. Blyle came to the on-site visit and he had conversations with our physicians. We also had an in that one of our physicians actually went to work for Genome Medical before <laughs> all of this partnership. So it actually helped to smooth that path and allay the fears about working with an external physician group. Okay. And um, sorry, I lost the question. Um, so, oh, a question for KP Ventures. What is the process for pitching to KP Ventures? <laughs> You're in luck, because we will have 20 minutes of networking, and you have several people here from KP Ventures who are investment leads. Raise your hands. Yes, look at these brave, beautiful people. And approach one of them, and that is the process for today. <laughs> and having gone through it, I'm happy to comment as well. <laughs> That's true. Um, and actually, just last question uh, or last kind of statements to the group um, I want to wrap up so people do get time to network at the end um, what you know 
again, in the audience, there are health plans, health systems, providers. Um, there are also lots of startups. So just what advice do you have being being an operational leader within this space for a large enterprise and being a CEO, founder of a company in this space? Just um, if you are somebody who is looking to have a partnership with an enterprise as a smaller stage company, and if you're an enterprise, whatever it may be mm-hmm. in the enterprise, looking to adopt cutting edge innovations, which often come from smaller mm-hmm. stage companies, what advice do you have? Um, I'll start with be authentic. I mean, don't try to sell the large enterprise on a product because we're going to see through a sell but be authentic about what it is that you can deliver that is going to take care of people. Because that's what we're about. We want to take care of people, and if you can help us do that, that's your way in. Fabulous. Um, From my side, I would say we are continuously seeking ways in which we can be the good citizen in the ecosystem and help shepherd in this era of genomic-based medicine in a really medically responsible manner, but also much more efficient and scalable manner. And so uh, we continue to seek partnerships with health systems, with payers, with uh, provider groups. We work with uh, some others in the ecosystem. Um, And I think for you know, kind of closing and parting thoughts there on success. It is, it's, it's about trying to get to alignment on is this a real need and is it a pain point today and something that we can help solve? Because mm-hmm. I think where you can often get in trouble and spend a lot of time banging on doors and having conversations, but conversations that don't necessarily manifest then in, you know, success with as an early stage company you're trying to drive that growth and traction is to make sure that you've got that executive sponsor buy-in and good alignment in actually, you know, wanting to accomplish an objective and an end goal together uh, and making sure that you're, yeah, kind of getting that feedback along the path that you're on the right path. Yeah. 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 And nobody asked me, but I'm going to give my two cents. <laughs> Remember, operational budget holders. If you want an operational partnership, seek operational partners. And those are our parting words. Uh, mingle. Excellent. <laughs>